And I'm like, and the problem is, fat boy. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. Everyone, it's time for one fucking hour. I am Evan Husney, joined, uh, of course, by my co-hosts, uh, Tom Fitzgerald to my left. Tom, good evening. <laughs> and to my right, um, <laughs> Marcus Herring. Sup? Sup? Sup, guys? I grew up my neck beard for this one. <laughs> All right, yeah. Oh, oh no. <laughs> We're trying to de-neck beard tonight, folks, because uh, tonight's uh, tonight's film- on the acne. <laughs> Tonight's uh, uh, fucking hour, this fucking hour, uh, is going to be on the 1979 uh, horror film uh, directed by Don Coscarelli, Phantasm, or as we've been calling it here the last week, fucking Tasm, man. So- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Tasm. T-A-S-M. Yeah, Tasm. Uh, you guys seen that Tasm movie? Um, all right, so I'm going to start <laughs> the clock here. Um Oh, Lord. Oh, no. And here we go. All right. So, uh, guys, for me, Tasm is really um, one of the rare horror films that I actually think, like, gets better with time. You know, like, it didn't, it didn't like, you know, in, in terms of where it started and now where it's at today, I just feel like it ages so well. As time goes by, it just gets even fucking cooler and more awesome. Um, I'm the one with the cold this week, so I'm a little under the weather, but I'm going to try to battle somehow, it. This one. Somehow through Zoom, we're passing it around. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know how that works. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, man. <laughs> right, yeah. What the fuck? Um, but because normally my uh, exuberance for this movie would be at a level of like heavy metal parking lot bystander, you know, for this movie. Dazzle! Um, <laughs> we got to do that. We should do that, yeah. A one fucking hour on a 23-minute movie. Uh, okay, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to kick it off to you, uh, Tom, because last at the yeah. end of last week's ep, we were talking TASM, and we were saying that... Um, you know, it, it, it... Or you were describing it as sort of a 70s raw, hard rock album gatefold cover sort of come to life. Can you Can you kind of walk us through that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, I've always associated with you know, n- n- none of the the, um, the iconic uh, general cultural imagery of the early 70s so much, uh, but definitely rooted heavily in the late 70s. Blacklight poster is another mm. kind of signifier, you know, uh, and definitely van art. And what I mean by that is just um, a, a sort of subculture that's got really strong and developed as the 70s went to the early 80s of, um, you know, bong hitting, uh, denim jacket, you know, a band, you know, a T-shirt, eight track uh, tapes, long, eight track tapes, long haired dirtbags who would smoke uh, various things in the uh, the smoking area in the back of this high school. You know, uh, those guys, <laughs> you know, they're older than me and they scared me and sort of but fascinated me. And they were just I just kind of knew when I first saw Phantasm that it was their movie uh, because it has uh, it's kind of it's weird. It's kind of rock and roll. Um, but not literally, it's not, uh, you know, like stunt rock or something right. like that, or, or, you know, like something with a, it doesn't have a rock soundtrack, you know, but it does rock in its own way. But anyway, what I mean is it, um, it lends itself to uh, midnight movie culture, 
uh, which is kind of like dirtbag bong hit rock culture too. Uh, it did. It was a big popular midnight movie. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 I can just imagine it really cleaning up in the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Uh, where these kinds of uh, you know creatures of the night used to live. Yeah, you and seen that fucking ball that comes flying in your fucking yeah, face, man? It, I, I know exactly. Sure. They got this. There's a lot of jean jackets in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. long hair. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They're 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 kind of living it too. The uh, the older brothers and uh, and uh, I'm sure that actually the first guy who dies uh, in the film. Uh, what is it, Eddie? Eddie? What's his name? Oh shit, I can't remember. You know? It's so good. Yeah, but, I know yeah. me either. What the hell? I drawn a blank. Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Thank you. No, so Tommy looks like, uh, you know, like King Stoner Dirtbag number one. I would have loved to have seen him <laughs> in his prime. Doesn't he? You know, uh, he's got the facial hair all down. He looks like the real troublemaker guy uh, of that type. Of that type. And and again, he seems to signify um, the perfect demographic for Phantasm. That's what I mean. And what always clicks for us, we, we used to just go back and forth on this, was Van Art, certainly. Right. But then, boom, the best thing, the best analogous visual component to phantasm our album covers you know kind of led zeppelin 4 is in there mm-hmm. you know because that and led zeppelin certainly were you know uh progenitors of like this style the swan song records logo how about totally. that you know uh and that gets you like the the rush guy whatever his name is and so um oh yeah let's look uh that. yeah definitely yeah, there you go. So uh, it, what it, what I mean is um, there was more of a Tolkien-esque kind of classic Western mythology being referenced a lot, you know, especially exemplified by Led Zeppelin IV. But things got a little more um, advanced or demented and, and mutated, mutated, like some of those later Black Sabbath album covers, late 70s, mm-hmm. like sort of even technical ecstasy, like, what am I looking at? What is that? You know, <laughs> totally. or, right? Or, or like even where the one where they have like those Air Force masks. Never say die. Yeah. Uh, never say die. You know, yeah. it's like like tonally there's something different. It's less like uh, like Hobbit didn't like going to the top of the mountain with flames. It gets into like modern technology so that what I'm saying is Phantasm really kind of caught up with that. And, and it has that that weird silver sphere that, yes, it feels like it's from another planet, but it also just feels like almost futuristic. So there's like mm. this vaguely futuristic, uh, uh, ancient, occultic, supernatural mythology, yeah. you know. The sphere, yeah, it's very uh, hypnosis album cover for sure. Yeah, the exactly. The, but, the mausoleum walls, you know. Like, I got to tag in right on what Tom was saying, though, because. Hit the, me, hit me. The, More album the covers. Band, the, 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 the band that captures that sort of hybrid of everything you were talking about with technology and everything and mythology is none other than fucking Blue Oyster Cult. And this yeah, movie is Don't Fear the Reaper come to life. And I will be first in line. You know, yeah. a couple of weeks back we were talking about Gary Busey as a punchline. But, you know, Blue Oyster Cult's been a punchline now because of fucking Saturday Night Live, which just Two destroys decades. me. Because yeah. Don't Fear the Reaper is a fucking awesome song. And that really is evocative yeah. to me of, of, of what, what is very tasm about Phantasm. Look, how about this? What's often said? Don't fear, Michael. Don't fear... Yeah. I mean, it's it not quite the, the same. That's the message of the movie. Yeah, don't. Yeah, fear. it's incredible. <laughs> don't fear, Michael. And then Michael says, like, don't fear uh, a bunch of times, like before he goes into the gate to the other planet. And yeah, it's I mean, the strength he draws on to, like, yeah. you know, to overcome like the point of the film. His, his own. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah, then also. Good call on Blue Oyster Cult, for sure. Yeah, that, that, be, 
That yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, just to, to round up on this one specifically. Um, this uh, the thing that I like about it is um, these guys like having um, obtuse sim- uh, per- obtuse symbols. Uh, a whole like uh, a catalog of symbols of their own making like they have their own symbol you know the weird blue code symbol but also yep. the symbol the symbolics of like the weird magician pointing like there's all this like um loaded <laughs> symbolism and not just the literal symbols you know but there's so much loaded symbolism too in phantasm like um oh the tuning fork gate you know and then like yeah, yeah. Uh, you know like like that's and, like, very prog everything- rock everything's yeah exactly everything's in little boxes and stuff so it's it's like it's less pure uh western a mythology a la led zeppelin four it's certainly that but it gets into that weird thing of like personal occultic symbolism and significance of objects yeah and significance of symbols you know which is really and fucking rad awesome. and and, and yeah. obviously you know fucking rush as we touched on earlier is Huge into that too, especially twenty one twelve, which you just have to imagine. Everybody on that production is fucking rocking that on eight track, or if that even fat. Yeah. I don't even know if that fit on an eight track, but so you got Big fucking fat rush. Bong rips. Yeah, fat bong rips. You got fucking mahogany rush. Had to pull that with the silver it's ball a sphere. There. Yeah, Ride the totally. sphere. Yeah. Ride the <laughs> silver <laughs> sphere. Yeah, bro. That's a rush. Yeah. What are, what are what are they smoking? What's that all about? And I think okay. it says that mahogany rush. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I think when you were talking about the older, scarier kids, you know, who who smoke things in that part of the of the high school, they're definitely mm-hmm. into fucking Judas Priest, which I also think is another. That's tipping more into the metal sphere, but sphere. But you can see, you know, uh, with this Iger, you know, this 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 evoked phantasm yeah. to me. And obviously, going back yeah. to the Bloister Cult cover too, that fucking hearse. I mean, it's all there, man. Damn, it really just nails it. And 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 what I really like about it is that, just like I was saying, for example, the music is not literally just a heavy metal band scored it or something. No, like, it's no. not. It's not on the nose. The rock and roll connection. Um, right. So you're talking I, about like the the trappings of the album covers and just being evocative of the era and the sort of yeah. mix ma- mishmash like of guys. fantasy and 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 Technology. sci-fi and and how that all gets sort of. The, just yeah. the general vibe of the film, but the music, right? Is t- like it seems like he was more inspired by like uh, Mike Oldfield, like Exorcist, or like Tubular yeah. uh, like I read that he was actually in the Goblin and Suspiria, and, and maybe oh, yeah. that's what he was going for. As far as the actual music, it takes like a different cue kind of thing. But like your your point's more about the the whole tone and of the yeah. movie, the zeitgeist. And the, all the trappings are are taken from the zeitgeist at the time, which was. Like rock and roll ruled the world in the seventies, right? Yeah. It's the biggest like kind of uh, export and industry, you know, rock and roll. Yeah, and, but the film, like, and this is what's really cool is is this film is unique. It was the only one that had a uh, that was a direct hit on this sort of subculture, you know, that had its. It, there was a time before the subculture, and there was a time after, and, and you know, like things moved on, even you know, and became more pure metal. And then just shit metal kind of in the mid 80s, you know, hair metal and whatnot. And and bands, uh, album covers look different. How about that? But album covers were so mysterious back then and they always draw my attention. I think, do you have any Black Sabbath there? Um, I, I, I might okay. have, I, I'll throw it up in post. Yeah, the yeah. one that you were calling out was really good. I remember you were mentioning that. Um, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath. Actually, yes. there's like a shot in the movie that looks like he was lining up the album cover to try to compose it. He's got Angus... Scram standing behind the bed. Yep. Like it looks like he's composing it the same way as that album cover. Totally. Can I add another Sabbath? Because actually, really, Sabbath 
from you know the second half of the seventies, they were um, they really really uh, influenced this whole feel and look. Uh, 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 you know, and, and then even the song "Who Are You," which is just this like synth dirge, you know, drilling into your skull. No, but the other album cover is kind of I think interesting too. It's more relatively subtle and more cinematic. Is sabotage. You know, like this kind of really dopey stoner, like like surrealism, like trash surrealism, you know, like, hey, man, like what's the other side of the mirror, you know, which is so phantasm. Right. Yeah. Let me let me uh, let me let me throw in here to kind of put a bow on the album cover thing, too, which is I think the uh, that music where we've been talking about all that stuff, the album covers, it really has this kind of dream nightmarish feel. That's when those influencers are really coming into that music. It's very dreamy nightmare scape kind of music. And that's obviously a big part of what Phantasm is. I mean, Phantasm was born yeah. from a dream that Don had, which I love. He had a dr- he had a dream about the ball chasing him, you know. And he, oh, I didn't I, know that. Yeah, I also love this too. That in his dream, where the ball was chasing him down this like corridor, you know. And there's nothing more fucking nightmares than orbs and corridors, bro. I know. Uh, but um, there was like a weird like robotic ball dispenser that was just you know chucking these things out but in his dream but anyway the cool thing about this movie and i think that why it endures so much going back to what i was saying why it ages so well is i think is that like you can kind of like look at this now and appreciate it as an art movie or at least i can you know like it doesn't feel really like an american horror film of its time you know it's not like he saw halloween and was trying to do that you know he's really going for something that's pure nightmare vibes um it feels like you know what Lu- like lucio fulci would do like in the 80s where things were just totally off the rails like he was doing it before you know like the end of gates of hell or something totally that very like non-linear <laughs> yeah, like, sort of just like okay. you know yeah like he he <laughs> wanted this he wanted this to be a nightmare and a dream and he really leaned yeah. into that and it totally worked for every little thing piece that he right. has it works it like motivates the characters it motivates it, it, it makes all the rough edges and discontinuity work it makes everything and then you have these two brother characters um that are grief stricken you know and then the film also has this underlying this beautiful underlying sort of theme about you know these guys who are clouded with you know grief and misfortune and confusion and it's just that's what's just yeah. so cool about it and it feels like a music video which i think kind of brings it back to the music thing well how about this is one of the great compliments of a movie uh very often maybe just about every time you know there's a composition there's a shot it's suitable for framing you know right. what i mean it's very he's got a great eye which you know not everybody has in horror uh, or in general in film, but he has a great eye. He has like a painter's eye or something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he knows he's how to compose cool, a shot. Yeah, he's doing yeah. some cool like camera tricks and stuff too. There's an amazing shot when like the brothers on the in the payphone, and it's it's real tight on his face, and then it just starts to dolly back, like almost like they've got it in a truck or something, you know, or they've got like dolly tracks set up, but it, it dollies back so beautifully, and it, it feels really smooth, almost like steady cam or something, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, there's just there are like these great uh, shots and, Com- and compositions, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, but even what, just like his his eye, like you know, my compliment is is his uh, visual sense because when you are doing something, it's a dream. You got to hook up the visuals. You got to know what you're doing, and you got to have that raw talent. And he has it in the spades. I think I was think I was you know obviously reflecting on Phantasm too. I've seen it a lot of times, and I was just like, um, you know, he just knows not even like how to tell the story visually that's kind of not what this movie is because it's a dream no. but yeah. dreams you know we remember the visuals of dreams a little bit of 
aural memory, maybe, but dreams are these visual strange movies in our head and they, he just nails it, you know? Totally. Um, and I think that something he also does really well when we're going back to the mythology that he's building. I mean, you're, you're really talking about a guy who is making a movie. He started making it, shooting it in 1977, right? Very little money. He's 23 when he starts filming this movie. Insane. Wow. He's 25 when it gets released. But it, it's really this kind of like DIY nightmare mythology he's sort of building upon. And I love the idea of just, you know, and we should look at the clip now, too. It's a good segue to that. But just like... Yeah, which one... Well, just talk about the gate. You know, like you find these two metal objects, oh, yeah. and you're like, and you give it so much weight and significance in this one moment in the film, just out of just two simple props and a mirror. I love that. That's so fucking cool. Yeah. Um, let's take a look at it. Is that the door to the? Let's watch. Fan- let's just shut up and watch Phantasm. <laughs> is that the yeah. a door to their Sounds planet good. clip? Right. I think it is. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So here we go. Yeah, like this. You just have that. Very 2001 here, too, influence. Yeah, um, 2001, um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. Good call. No, I know what you're... But you're making a really good point. Like, this is something I've always noticed. You don't need a lot of money to make a killer movie. You know, it's not an excuse. Like, you know, you're going to make a good movie, you're going to make a bad movie. And money might be involved, but, um, like, he is innovative. Don't and he, No, but he wisely... You're right, actually. He just says, like, let's just get a room, all white, you know, lit, all white. And, and that's a mirror uh, white light. There's that. a lot of cool restraint right. here too, you know, and the rest of the movie's got like uh, you know, haunted houses and crowded cemeteries and antique stores and stuff, but this feels very restrained in this room. Well, 2001 comp- again, you know, like like we're not mm-hmm. in a familiar the composition place. Composition in this frame this. Really nice too. <laughs> Look at that. This is incredible. Man. That is so fucking album cover time. Totally. You know when he sees Bad the, out of uh, hell. the slave. <laughs> Can I just yeah. say, if you ha- if we can do the volume real quick, Evan here. Back cover. Can you do the <laughs> volume? Wait, hold on a sec. Can you do the volume? Is it possible to do the volume? Yeah, it's up. Slaves. What? Slaves. Don't use them for slaves. The dwarves. Wow. And they gotta crush them because of the yeah. gravity and the heat. There's your one line of. Uh... Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. And this is the door to their planet. Yeah. And these guys are all ready to go. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm belaboring a point here, but this always amuses me because it's the kind of great dialogue in a movie where if some people walked into that room, they'd be like, wow, you guys are on a lot of acid. You know, like, <laughs> and the, it's like, and then, and then they like crush the dwarves. And then they're all the slaves now, and then they go into their planet, and then you become a dwarf. It's like, what the fuck are you people talking yeah. about? I just let it's it the so one nice. line of uh, exposition in the film, and it is the, like the stoniest, like toke yeah. line, like no, but crush them, and then it, yeah, it doesn't even really go anywhere. The gravity no, but just, and the heat, yeah, exactly. It just it just enormously amuses me that um, you know they're delivering lines beautifully, you know, and uh, straight ahead and dry, you know, yeah. and it's the, just it's just. It's it that says so much that little moment in that movie you know like like crush the dwarves no but what I love is Reggie's response like yes exactly they crush the dwarves into slaves like he got he gets it like where Michael's going with this right and just that's yeah. such a drug conversation that's they awesome. do set it up earlier where they're like wonder why they're crushing them down to half size and everyone's yeah, like kind of pondering on it for a while it's just right then though it's like like they're having they're you having know. an lsd eureka moment you know yeah what's well, funny I mean, it, you pointed out that it's like the tuning fork 
gate and we see a tuning fork earlier in the movie, right? Yeah, right. mentioned that. A little foreshadowing uh, with Reggie. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to get into that? Kind of follow yeah. through on this well, whole gate section? Uh, well, there was one thing about the slaves, too. It reminded me, I, I was feeling like that came a little bit from the, Zodi the Zeitgeist as well, but it reminded me of Zodiac. You know, it's like, uh, hmm. like oh, my, right. you, whoever I kill in this life will become slaves oh, in right. my afterlife. It's even better than getting yeah. your rocks off with a girl. You know, like it's got that kind of like right. slaves <laughs> in the afterlife. You know, we're going to take that out, Marcus, and and uh out of context what you just said <laughs> you know that's you gonna be uh, part yeah. of the sh that's yeah. the cold opening yeah. so uh, <laughs> anyway uh no no totally I, I bet you uh killing on earth and then owning the souls of those who are you killed that probably goes back to like egyptian mythology or something that they're all totally. riffing off that you know i'm yeah. assuming i don't know exactly um, do we have art. did, did yeah. we want to i was thinking maybe it'd be kind of cool to follow through Sure. Because we do have a little bit of Reggie and the cosmic. Uh, you ready? Twenty-four. Okay. Yeah, and then I'm going to ask you guys, what the hell is going on? Because I want to hear some thoughts. All right, you need volume. Yeah, let's turn it up. Rock out. I love Reggie. So that's the that's the foreshadowing from earlier. He'd be a good Halloween costume. <laughs> totally. Right. It's a very yeah. distinct look. Anyway, that is a really good idea for a Halloween costume. Yeah, oh, I love Reggie. Trepidation. Don't fear the Reaper, man. Totally. <laughs> so then, so then it crosscuts, and uh, what is it? Jody, the brother, um, yep. is seeing you know the uh, the harlot of death, who's of course the tall man. And what I'm saying, though, what I'm maybe asking you guys is if you have any theories, him in coming in contact with the tuning fork of the gate um, uh, uh, jolts her, a.k.a. the tall man. Any thoughts? Uh, or is that is there any exposition on that? I'm or just, just going with it, man. Freewheeling? You're just yeah. feeling it out? Okay. Because it, it makes cause I know it doesn't make sense in, in the film. It wonderfully has like very little exposition, but I'm just saying. Um, I just thought maybe I was missing. Well, something. there is a vibe in that room. Like I don't know. I'm not. That's completely new to me. But when they uh, when they enter that room, there is like a synth pad that's pulsing like a wave, like a whoa whoa whoa. It's really right. low. Right. So it is sort of like a giant. Uh, yeah, tuning fork does that too, right? It's got a little. It has a little bit of a waver, like in the sine wave or whatever. So maybe you know but that's a contact that's... that that affected uh the harlot slash tall man i don't know just just a thought but that's what i love about it because and i'll just drive this point home you know uh abusively is like uh i love that there's a lack of exhibition because so many other writers oh, yeah. and screenwriters would really have a tendency to really over explain it and be like the mythos of the contact point of the you know and it's just it's just kind of happening Can you know you and some people criticized it can you imagine yep. a Hollywood okay. remake of Phantasm? That's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Oh you know? my god, it's over-explaining yeah. everything. It's just well, a trippy split it into three vibe. parts. Three parts, and the first movie all takes place on that planet. Yeah. You know? Totally. Totally. <laughs> Ugh, I can't. Um, I can't. Well, you were talking, Tommy. I think you were about to get into this. You said that some people were criticized it. We were talking about the uh, Siskel and Ebert <laughs> review. Yeah, they really and they really shredded Phantasm. Yeah, that's one of the problems that Ebert had with it was like, oh, it feels like just a bunch of random str scenes strung together. It feels like you could run the movie in a loop 
and come in at any point in time. Any point. And, and I was like, there. yeah, mo- like, yes, Mobius. Yes. <laughs> no, I know, like a Mobius script, uh, script, a Mobius script, har har. <laughs> right. But like, like, and I'm like, and the problem is, fat boy. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. No, but seriously, he was bugging me on that one. I was like, well, like, because because they were describing a horror film with with like irrational, you know, illogical uh, plot a plot, and I'm like, yeah. what are you talking about? It's like he was saying like. What is Castorelli doing? What is he trying to do? And it's like he's trying to make a weird horror movie. <laughs> no, he's he's, he's, like, he's ahead of his time, man. He really is for that stuff. I yeah, mean, yeah. <clears throat> there, there, there really wasn't much of just like that. That's why it does feel like European. It feels like it, you know, it, it feels yeah. like it, it doesn't really feel like a traditional American horror Maybe film like, for that time. How about this? How about mm-hmm. this gentleman? Maybe it's the only other film that hints at the possibilities of Odorowski's Dune. Whoa. Maybe. You know, midish, in, midish. Well, I'm just saying, midish into late '70s, uh, well, and just that that. And, and and well, I'm saying that Dune feel, feels like it would have been the ultimate late '70s bong sure. rip album cover. That's yes. kind of what I'm saying. A hundred percent. And it has that. It totally has that. You know, we are you, oh, you quality to it for sure. I mean, the scene we just watched. Um, but one thing I wanted to touch on is, um, you know, Absolutely. Tom, you. Uh, but it's not Odorowski in Paris. It's it's this crazy twenty three year old guy with a camera, in like uh, you know like uh, the valley. San Fernando Valley or something. Yeah. It's so amazing. That's what I that and that's back to your thing, dude. Is the DIY thing like that's another thing that Hollywood do to just destroy the charm of Phantasm. You know, too much money or any money because it really is so DIY and and he did so much with so little. You know, I know he really uh, did. And, it's and very I just, inspiring. I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, all those little. Uh, creative tricks and the fact that it is so DIY, I think it's what helps it connect to like the audience too. And like helps, he, he seems like Coscarelli feel, feels like he's really close to, you know, like you say, he's only 23. He feels like he's really close to being a teenager still. Like he's still in touch with all those little things that kick yeah. around your head. You know, it comes out in his other films too, um, that are, like deal with childhood and, and teenagers. Yeah. And so, and this movie is really like connected, you know, like teen boys specifically really connected with this film. He noted that, you know, and I think it, it deals with a lot of the, uh, you know, not only the psychological issues, but also just the pop culture issues of what being a teenager is well, about. You know, there's yeah, other yeah. reference points. I mean, like those little dwarves are like Jawas, basically, you know, I know. And uh, <laughs> so he's so know, really he's a haunted house <laughs> and like. Like uh, Angus Scrim is kind of like Lurch or Frankenstein, you know, like he's, they are sort of like spin off things that you encounter as a kid, like spooky, scary things that you see, you know, in your waking life. And then you see, then you dream about them later. It's sort of like interpretations of it, but it does, it all feels like the way that you, the fears of, of like a teenager kind of mixed in together. Anyway, I don't yeah. know. Well, yeah, two yeah. things on that. Yeah. You know, he said, <clears throat> Don Coscarelli said he had the Jawas concept, you know, drawn up before uh, Star Wars A New Hope came out, which I love. Oh, yeah. You know, <clears throat> that that's alleged. You know, okay, he's filming it in 77. So you never know before. You You're right. Kind of druids. Yeah, probably probably. A no, but they're yeah. dwarf druids. That's yeah. that's yeah. distinct with both <laughs> yeah. of the, the, the um, you know, Jawas yeah. and the, um, they're both the dwarf druids. George Lucas got it from me. Little yeah. people do. Yeah. The thing I wanted well, to. Uh, Close yeah, the loop please. on you were talking about Ebert. I wanted to segue out of that because um, the thing with Ebert is that um, you were talking about uh, you know he's criticizing this for being this kind of free form you know sort of improvisational you know not nonsense kind of thing. 
um, or just horror movie trope on 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 a relay. But one of the best scenes in the movie is you know doesn't even again these moments don't need to be in the film. It doesn't necessarily push the story forward, but they're so fucking good. And this this scene in particular is one of my favorite. Ooh, what are you gonna movies. show? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. Um, always the, we'll just the, show it. Always the image that sticks with me is the image of the tall man. Uh, oh yeah, walking in Main Street, <clears throat> and. Um, you know, here he is in slow motion too, which obviously also gives it that amazing dreamlike well, quality. And also the drenched in echo footsteps. I was analyzing the scene. That's so important. Um, and you know what else? You know, this is a nice thing to shout out to um, Angus Scrim, aka that's like his pseudonym. I forgot his real name. But um, you know, you know, it was one of those fortuitous things that uh, Costarelli realized that when he cast this really tall man who was in one of his previous films. Uh, uh, Scrim uh, was really into it and he put a lot into it totally. and that's a great that. luck out yeah when you, when you cast you know you don't always know if this guy's going to just phone it in or if he's going to go what if what yeah. if I wore this suit what if I walked with this gait you know yeah. like what if I had this facial expression so Angus Scrim really created the tall man uh, and that's a beautiful thing because um, I, I, I definitely heard that Don wasn't expecting you know much and he thought like maybe he could direct him and have sort of a passable interesting kind of tall man but he made him an icon uh the actor did you know and One thing he made all those choices it's, sorry sorry to cut you off one no that's it go ahead i was just gonna say before we move on to angus and potentially anything else and and move on from this clip i just want to back it up for one second because i i really want to discuss the source of tonight's um that, that you're using for these clips, Tom, because this is the yes, open please. mat uh, laser disc, <clears throat> which is open actually mat. <laughs> open mat tasm, bro. Um, tasm, bro. <laughs> Dude, you ever open mat tasmed in the desert, bro? Matt right, so tasm. Before... <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. Uh, but no, you're right. You're right. I, I, I want to call it out really quickly for this shot in particular, because this blew my fucking mind. In the open matte version, I mean, I, and there's the beautiful 4K remaster. It's so funny we're using the laser disc here to show it. But the, yeah. four, the, the 4K remaster is amazing. I, I encourage everyone to seek it out. They did a beautiful job. But this open matte here actually shows you that motherfucking Reggie had a retail location. And you know what, I was going to say, yeah, I didn't remember yeah. that. You know what, guys? I've that never... changes... No, I know. I've everything. never, ever seen that. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing. To compare to this open mat, uh, you know, it's cut off and it's like just the hint of every letter at the top, if, if at all. And uh, it does say Reggie's ice cream um, on the, the truck, but who's looking? It doesn't matter. But that's it a does, huge fat sign. Right, and he I mean, runs yeah. the ice cream. Because I think we all just assumed he was like a pizza delivery man equivalent. Totally. You know, like a total bong ripper who couldn't handle a job. But no, that's his place of business. You know? Yeah, and, and it, it makes really him a role a different model. spin on the ending. Yeah, yeah. It, What's puts a different, it puts a different spin on the ending because yes. now he's somebody who owns his... It's character. He owns his own shop. He's like a good role model for the kid, and you know he actually he's, could care for that kid, right? He yeah. actually could like support him. Yeah. He's sort of like the fa the father figure that that none of them have. You know, he's a fucking entrepreneur. Want, right? He's an entrepreneur for crying out loud. <laughs> All right. He's slinging ice cream, dude. Actually, can I get to something just to, sure. to intersect then to what? Marcus was saying, and then just staying on um, Reggie for a little bit, and 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 you were bringing this up, uh, Evan. Uh, you yeah. had a revelation, you know, like, uh, you know, just to get a little serious for a moment. It's it, this film is about something, you know. Thank you, 
Siskel and Ebert, but, but it is uh, not just like a weird ass dream some 13 year old kid had. Um, it's about the fear of death and loss yeah. of your own somewhat, but of loved ones and even more importantly, supportive loved ones, because uh, those brothers lost their parents. Uh, probably to the tall man in the narrative of this film, um, but they just lost their parents. And then, as we learn later, um, Michael, the little brother, is is the whole dream world is coming to terms with the 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 also recent death of his brother Jody, and then he kind of is alone. So it's about loss and um, the fear of uh, you know being disconnected from uh, people who care for you and care about you, and that's a huge fear especially for a kid and that's what that's what we're seeing here and it's exemplified by that fantastic scene at the end where um uh good old reggie is consoling michael uh by the fireplace and saying hey let's go on a road trip my man you know and he is big brothering him or dadding him and he and and, and that's what michael really needs to hear and wants to hear mm-hmm. because it's really about the loss through death of loved ones yeah and also coping with the uh with death and ptsd you know, of the uh, of that, too, because I think a lot of what's happening is like, you know, these nightmarish manifestations of PTSD, not to get too heavy. But that's what's so cool about the movie. It's yeah, you're right. It's not just this free form nightmare horror movie tropes, Ebert. It is also there's you know, an emotional really under- basis to it. Yeah, It's underscored with a just really nice and subtle, too, uh, to the point to where, you know, neckbeards yeah. can be like Tasm. And then also like, you know, you can really right. look at it and be like, man, this this really has some some weight to it. Absolutely. Because that scene at the end is very important. I mean, it has a crazy shock ending, boy, you know, uh, which means, you know, it, it, it's uh, it's the end or is it, you know, that kind of thing. But I love it. And it's really good. And it got me when I first saw it. You know, I wasn't I wasn't expecting that shit. The mirror. And it's, it's beautifully done. But what I'm saying is the penultimate scene of the film, the emotional core lands on the penultimate scene, the scene before the very final shock edit. And um yeah, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it very comes tender. To catch you by surprise because you're already surprised that it was a dream, you know. And the 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 shocks come back to back really quick, so you know the movie's wrapping up, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it was a dream. Oh, his brother's dead. Oh, you know he's yeah. got, he, you know he's disturbed or whatever. And then and then it comes back to uh, you know the, the shocking. So it, it does, yeah. The it's a flat circle. Did it. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, that's what Ebert was the, getting the flat at. Flat circle, the record, man. Yeah, man. No, but, it, but it, it's a uh, true detective. But it's like um, that is what <laughs> Ebert picked up on, where it is just a circle, you know, and it's right. just like uh, it's just like like dread and fear of death in this endless cycle that Michael's in. You it's know, it's like when the record's mm-hmm. you know done playing, it's just on the end, just looping. You know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> could you? Did you tall man, tall man, boy, <laughs> you know, boring, boy. Boring. Yeah. And I love that, you know, and he goes in and, and, and what I mean is like, he, you know, cause he, uh, it's a little duel they were having and like Michael might escape the, uh, getting drawn into that, you know, in, in by the beasts. And then they have a, you know, it's eternal. It feels play like a good game boy. Exactly. That's what the game is not finished. Yeah. Cause, and the tall man's dead and then maybe Michael's dead and it just goes on and on. And this, cosmic uh loop it's great 
Very cool. Yeah, and it is it is kind of like you were mentioning, like or touching on earlier this um, even before we hit record. I can't remember the idea of it kind of being a role playing game or Dungeons and Dragons that kind of yeah. vibe too, because that's also firing off heavy in the late seventies too. Is the idea of you know Dungeons and Dragons and role playing and 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 him being kind of the dungeon master, the game master of this nightmare mm-hmm. world, and that's pretty fucking late seventies bong rip too. You know, that's a huge yeah. bong ripper. I mean, D and D came into its own like like right then right yeah. then you know what i mean totally. you know and, don, and, 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 and you know don was all over that shit um yeah and that's that's you know it's probably influenced more than a uh, rock and roll actually like we're seeing the cultural uh larger zeitgeist that he was probably you know experiencing but he's much more of a D guy than like a judas priest guy you know which is very cool but um right, well what yeah. do we have another clip uh yeah talk okay. to us about this we, we were talking about acid trip you know, we were talking about the acid trip logic, the acid trip, the bad acid trip sort of vibe of the whole movie. And mm-hmm. nothing says that more than just, you know, finger in a box, man. Yeah. Can we hear uh, the brother, older brother? Sure. Re- react. Can you pull it up. I'm going up. It's funny. I love the look of this laser disc, man. I know. Keep talking. Okay, I believe you. <laughs> it's it's a tad deadpan, you know, but it's fair. I mean, like uh, that's evidence. No, actually, you know, just to take another uh, angle to all this is again cutting against like having D and D and Tolkien esque um, tendencies. Uh, you know, there isn't any mythology to that finger. Or, the, or, or how the green blood or any of that. It's just happening. And honestly, I don't know if it's a conscious nod, but that's very Bunuel. Yes. You know, Louis Bunuel. And then, yes. and of course, that was a huge influence on uh, Odorowski. But that's a, that's right out of Bunuel, like disembodied body parts and like mm. stored in little boxes and everything. And I just mm-hmm. love that because um, it, it's just, it's part, it's dream logic, you know, Dali. You know, too, it's 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 feeding mainly off dream logic. And I thought that was a really interesting. I wonder I kind of would like to talk to him someday. Like, where is his head at that? He wanted to make something that was really a, a fantasy that steeped. I know we're repeating ourselves here in a loop forever uh, yeah. or I am. But it, it, it's a fantasy with dream logic. It's like Salvador Dali fantasy. And it's a masterfully cool. Right. And it, take. Yeah. It wasn't just like horror tropes or, yeah, I mean, like the fact that mixes in sci-fi and stuff, there's definitely no rules, like you said. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know what everybody <laughs> that, that finger, of course, turns into like a fly. You know, the yeah, finger is like a exactly. larva, turns into a fly. Let's and not forget. Like, oh, maybe this is about bug people. You know, your brain's going, what is this about? Who is this guy? You know, yeah. is he, okay, so he's a. It's a haunted house, and then it's like, oh no, there's a flying sphere inside. Is that a ghost or what is that? You know, right? Uh, it's oh, there's so many different elements going on that Who's it, it turns out sphere? to be kind of like aliens, I guess. You know, it's kind of but not the movie Aliens, but it's like I guess the tall man's well, from another planet. Well, you know? as Reggie, Reggie, and uh, and Michael, you know, they had a eureka moment. Like that's their planet, which is weird because like why did they say that? Because it could be another dimension. 
Yeah. Like that could be their interpretation, but they're right. like, no, there's like this other planet. Right. That could be a netherworld or something. That reminds me too of a, I think pretty sure of that, might have borrowed from this movie too. And they step oh, off yeah. the, the porch in Beetlejuice. Yeah. They end up on Mars, you know, right. and it's like the red desert planet too. So I well, just can didn't I just realize say, that's where that idea maybe. One, one, um, uh, 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 you know, a uh, child, one child of Phantasm is the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Mm-hmm. But it, but, but since it's, it's become the mid 80s, then um, everything looks and feels really different, uh, you know, and it doesn't have that specialness of, you know, a Blister Color album cover. But like, I was actually watching Freddy, Freddy's Dead, uh, which uh, I hadn't seen, I don't know when, you know, but I was watching it and, and it's, uh, it's That's got that. Five? Gr- Is that like five? Yeah, or- six, dude. It's freaking six, bro. Like 1991 <laughs> or something. They're referencing like Twin Peaks. But it's I kind of enjoy it actually because it really goes for that dream logic thing, <laughs> and I mean of course Nightmare on Elm Street is about dream logic. You know, I'm just saying that that's actually a pretty groovy uh, 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 spawn of Phantasm. Although it is all I'm saying again is just it's missing that um, heavy metal album cover uh, aesthetic right. to me. Well, there's yeah. some, there's a little bit of like uh, the weapon too. You know that Phantasm has like yes. the signature weapon. Yeah, you know, it's metallic. Ball. Yeah, fetishistic. Well, the ball right. and then the the uh, the, the glove. It like it's right. funny that movies started doing that. Like uh, crawls got that like you know Chinese star looking. Thing oh yeah, yeah. That's the glade. Yeah, they have the gimmick. And yeah, maybe the, the lightsaber. I always thought was kind of the the foundation of that. Like I don't, maybe it's Excalibur. I don't know, but just having like a signature kind of weapon for your movie. Can we can it's we talk about the ball? Interesting move. Um, I, I've been second. waiting. You know, everybody's just waiting for the peace scene, uh, Evan. Well, I, all, like, this is what I want to talk about. Watches. This is what yeah. I want to talk about. So, just so let it roll, man. This. Let it, let the ball yeah. roll. Okay, on this on this clip here, I I, I found this to be kind of amusing. Um, I completely so forgot about this. Go ahead. Did you get what? to see oh. the uh, mechanism that. Uh, let Evan go. Fly. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I was just talking about like how um, where this movie kind of fits in, you know, with the history of horror films, you know, and and midnight movies and that sort of a thing is um, I I find it amusing that my girlfriend's mother, um, big horror movie fan, watching horror movies into the 50s and 60s, like The Haunting and things like that, and you loved Halloween, and then then this comes out, let's go see it at the theater. She sees this scene Mm -hmm. is like, no fucking way, and then we're never again, never again, you know, are we going to horror movies? And then I think all bets were off for sure. Not only with the you know brain juice here, but also the warm piss yeah. that floats in. I think when warm piss yeah. is floating in, that's kind of like I'm out. You know, with the this, that that uh, image like soured her on watching any other horror movies ever again. This right here, <laughs> the welling up of of the dead man's urine. The, the, I my, forgot my, about my it. My dad took my sister to see that too, and she was like, you know, I guess she must have been like eight years old. He took her to see that movie, and yeah, it was but, the urine scene ruined her. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I think they showed actually what they remembered is that they showed a trailer for like Pink Flamingos or something before the movie, Amazing. and then my mother was like so like freaked out, you know, that they had but, like let her child see, uh, let her into the, the movie to see this movie that had like a nudity in the trailer right. beforehand. That'll do but it. The, the, the whole but, ball uh, thing is is so you know I mean, that's thing. pretty that's pretty far out, you know. I think. And, it you know, really Phantasm, is. And Phantasm is 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 playing, you know, in like Jersey. You know, it's playing in these, you know, suburbs, as you said. It's 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 playing out there. Long, Long Island. Seeing, yeah, Long Island. You're not just seeing it on, 
you know, 42nd Street or whatever, you know, no, like no, people no. are, oh, it's the new horror film. Let's go see it. What the fuck? You know, so I think a that big fucking hit. And, 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 you know, Halloween is a big, big film around the time, big independent horror film, not really gory. And that's pretty like insane. You know, when you're, cause I, yeah, everyone, I in the theater, everyone in the theater is on mescaline and, and shit and they're all. No, I know up. you're saying not just the ball. <laughs> But the well, but it's not just the ball, which is stunning. You know, it's like what's driving it, and it gets some. Um, it does get a little fucking Jedi-ish, you know, like it's powered mysteriously and all that kind of thing. But I, I think what you're saying though, which is a great point, is there's like a one-two-three punch mm-hmm. uh, with the the execution of what the ball can do. And I was I felt the same way when I first saw it. It's like it hits the the caretaker guy. And the blades go in, and it's like, oh, that looks rough. And then the then this fat ass drill. Actually, there's four things. Excuse me. So blades, fat ass drill, and the 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 jets of the blood draining from his body, which is yeah, got a port on the other side. For yeah, the blood it's like spout spouting, <laughs> and then the urine. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? You know. And I bet that was a. There's a lot of hooting and hollering. And freaking out and it's 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 one of the great famous scenes uh and it was you know they led with it with the advertising i thought there'd be more ball before i saw it you know like it'd be happening a lot but it was pretty strange it's only two times you see it i heard i I heard that the ball scene sorry just real quick that i heard that he filmed one scene with it and it went so well but he's like shit man the ball's gonna be a big deal we got to get one more ball scene in there you know so the ball was just gonna be a one-off sorry marcus it's really hard to imagine that he wasn't like influenced by star wars for that or just like the filmmaking technique or something you know or just like his excited that you could do something you know that that way or like ilm in general it seems like it's got some inspiration there but i don't know what the uh, what the timeline is oh i'm you know you made it through the success of star wars but but like can i just you know some observation i'm having right now i mentioned earlier the uh, echoing footsteps I love slowed down footage with real time uh, sound effects, you know, and they do that when the tall man's walking and then it's yeah. just fat drenched in echo. What I'm saying is I also want to compliment him. I don't know if we ever really consciously thought about it. I am is the sound of the ball is fucking badass. Like that's just as good kind of like it could have been kind of eh, like, but the, the, they got a nice fat synth tone. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It yeah. sounds the ball There's- sounds awesome. It does. So all I'm saying is kind of like a David Lynch thing. Like um, that's another thing that you know uninspired filmmakers, you know, they don't even touch sound, especially no, in they horror. Sleep on the sound, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think there's a lot of good sound in this. Like the 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 growls and stuff by the dwarves yes. is oh, like slowed yeah. down dog barking, so it's like yeah. It's incredible because you don't know. It's like yeah. familiar, but you know, mysterious, and it's yeah. a great solution. Animalistic, really cool. and then yeah. they're just hooded little people, you know. Like <laughs> so, and they don't sound like that. I, I don't. I don't imagine. But yeah. it's pretty I, well, I, I've never seen any of the other ones, and maybe I don't want to know the answer to this question. I haven't either. Because he's really? got sort of, you know, he's got the curse of the hit, right? The curse of success, and he has to go back. I guess like Phantasm yeah. was such a hit that. He's got to make like I don't know at least four other ones, right? Well, there's we, well, got, we did Beastmaster we got, too. Oh we right. Got, we, well, that was and then we also there's a sequel to that too. I don't know if he did that, but um, no. Did he? Uh, did he? 
I'll I'll uh, tag in. Uh, did so, they ever explain the ball? You know, like in no movies. I hope F- not. Phantasm, let's see. Fan- let's be brief on the sequels. <laughs> I know. I was going to say I want to be real brief on the sequels, but you know, the, it is one of the most bizarre film horror movie franchises of all time. I mean, if you watch them in succession, you'll have a pretty off feeling night for sure. They're not as good as the original, in my opinion. A lot of people like the second one. It's kind of a buddy film. You know, with Reggie, but they recasted Mike, which is bad and blah. Oh, they anyway, did. They oh. did because it was a, it's a studio movie. Yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I want to quickly because we got about 15 minutes left on the clock. We got I'm staring at a lot of what? shit I want to talk about. So let's just talk about the music if we can. Um, oh, God. And uh, real quick surprise for you guys. I fucking pulled the trigger. I fucking did it. Oh, uh, <laughs> sick. Gotta get the talk about the sphere. Yeah, that's great, dude. Of course you got nice. that. <clears throat> I knew you'd get uh, it. I knew you'd get it. <laughs> but uh, anyway. the music is just fucking awesome. Like you said, that kind of you know, know. he's going for the Exorcist vibe. It's so cool how how much it comes back in the uh, how much they use that theme and and then and then kind of transpose it in different ways. And it's just it's it's so great. It adds so much to the movie. I just love. Yeah. You know, any sort of type of horror soundtrack that has real drums, you know? And I was like, just going to say that. Yeah. Because some people say, oh, it's Halloween maybe influenced, John Carpenter's Halloween score. But, uh, you yeah. know, the live drums and the live, you know, live uh, rhythm track, uh, you know, yeah. the, the bass and the drums, um, that's a great rare thing. And that's actually another time sliver. Like, there's a very rare period before um, everyone just went with, like, synsonic drums and the technology went forward with like, you know, uh, phony baloney drums. But like uh, Gary Newman's Cars from 1979 is a perfect example of how New Wave for a minute yeah, had just drums. traditional classic fat ass drums and everything's, you know, synth over it. And that's a great sound. And then, you know, and Phantasm's in that brief little pocket, pocket. of time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Some prog rock does that too. Yeah, for Rush. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's cool. Like I think that's another cue that he cares about the music. That that that, that there's live drumming, and then the fact that the boys play a song in the movie, they can actually play guitar. I was you know, just that, gonna like, go. To yeah, that. I wish we could watch that. Cue, I wish we could watch that. Another cue that Don like uh, understands the world of music. It's another clue to your your theory that it's classic rock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess he's more it into is. music. You're you're all reminding me. He's he definitely. I don't know how much he's into rock and roll, uh, Don. I'd love to know. But yeah, here's our boys. Here's my man rocking the bow tie. Reggie backing up uh, older brother with the Stones <laughs> shirt and that hat. And I, by the way, uh, here at midnight. I, I want to know if this is an original song or a cover or what's, what's the deal? I think it deal, is an original you know? song. Pretty sure it's an original song. I think song. so too, yeah. It's awesome. I want to hire them to play this for me for my birthday. Where's the seven inch of this? Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying no, and then well, I love how they end it with a <laughs> savage rave up, acoustic rave up, you know. And then oh, Reggie's yeah. <laughs> great line. We might not be able to hear it, but like Reggie's great line, wrapping up the song is like, <laughs> like we're hot as love. Oh, wait, here we go. We're hot as love, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is yeah. so. You know what yeah. it reminds me of? He reminds me of like that old show WKRP in Cincinnati, and like Johnny Fever and like Dirtbag. Um, older hippie guys who are playing like you know whole pink floyd album cover sides late night fm totally like yeah. reggie specifically because he's a little older than uh, every the other is guys. a wkrp where he's playing pink floyd actually that's why i mentioned it so wow. there you go. i gotta Animals. fucking see that um yeah. so every <laughs> every episode of one fucking hour or at least i think most of them if not everyone 
has at least uh, a, a nice reference to uh, the Ace of Spades. Um, but <laughs> right. gotta keep. Oh my God! <laughs> keep, we keep calling. We keep pulling that card. I know we pull that card, but you have to every, mention every the. Episode. Tasm folklore here, big time, um, which this can't be true. But uh, 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 allegedly, Lemmy was at a Tasm screening in New York, and um, he said that Mike's head looked like the Ace of Spades. And um, no, kid's got a head like the Ace of Spades. Ace of Spades. And then he spent the rest of the second. Stop the movie. Yeah, exactly. I got an idea for a song. (laughs) <laughs> allegedly spent the rest of the screening writing the lyrics and this is out there no. in the world sorry to waste the clock on that but yeah the ace it's, no please spades. do no we had to mention ace of spades but uh of course it's not that lemmy's a huge was a huge gambler it's not that's why he wrote it that's not <laughs> I know. The you know what i mean <laughs> like he would just be at the rainbow bar and just play like video poker like right. all day and all night that's all right. he ever did are they yeah. say, trying to say? Is the rumor trying to say the kid's haircut looks like a spade's haircut? Oh, yeah, I mean, it, re- it. It. I thought that too before I heard oh, the like, story. I don't, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah right, that? it makes total sense. Boy, his hair looks like head, the ace. Not the ace of spades. Yeah, because you know why? Because you know spades come up to a, a weird point, just like his haircut. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so happy. we've got ten minutes. Stretch, oh no! Wait, wait. That's a stretch. Yeah. Fun fact idiotic. number two. Fun fact number two of of, fan, of Tasm. Excuse me. Uh, mm-hmm, Angus mm-hmm. Angus Scrim, um, real name Scrim. Rory Guy. Uh, okay. He wrote the liner notes on the back of Meet the Beatles, guys. I mean, that's so nuts. So is that another one of those made up facts? No, or that, no, that is. No, he true. was a journalist. He wrote. He wrote. He wrote, he wrote uh, articles and stuff, music wow. magazines. He did I like I was, a, I was Sinatra liner Beatles notes trivia, but that's that is very deep dive Beatles trivia. I love that. Yeah, you know. Sorry, I had to get that in. But uh, go ahead, Tom. No, no, it's a great, it's a great trivia. Well, so now we're uh, we're in the under the ten minute zone, and um, yeah. uh, I I cannot remember what the other clips are. Um, no, you want to talk talking... about his early work, early work. Right, and it's true because we were you know, maybe just the two second mention, or did we already do this? I guess was "Don't Fear the Reaper," and then you know throughout the film, the the motto is you know "Don't fear." And yes, there is that great scene. I guess I'll just reference it, but the great scene. That I, I really love that. That's when I realized I love the film, by the way, when he visits the fortune teller, the, the the grandmother, you know, you can just throw on the visual. And I just I loved how it looked and like and, and, and you know, it's, you know, you know, it's a perfect kind of Hodorowsky feel is the uh, sign out front yes. of the grandmother's fortune teller parlor or whatever. It's just a red hand. Yeah, that's fucking dope, dude. That's official. That is what's up. And that's the second I went. I love this film. That right then, you know, because because when the film starts, it's like graveyard and like naked girl. It's like, all right, you know, but this is the scene that really got me anyway. And also, this is a surrealism meets kind of like um, fantasy uh, where his hand is stuck until he doesn't let the fear take control and he can get out. You know, it's like that is right out of El Topo. It is right out of El Topo. Good point. It's true because like there's the four ma- yeah there's the four masters, you know, and like uh, you know uh, there's a way to defeat them, you know, and and he's figured that out, you know, and uh, and 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 um, you know there's all these metaphysical uh, challenges. I guess is all I'm really saying. So that's right out of <clears throat> uh, El Topo. I'm not saying that he's referencing El Topo specifically, but I feel like both films are referencing um, a certain kind of arcana. That's all I'm getting at. That's just very Ooh. cool. You know, and it's more abstract. It's more abstract than um, 
Tolkien. Beating up on Tolkien here tonight, aren't I? Anyway, <laughs> so we got cool sunglasses too. Love her sunglasses. Oh, yeah. Grandma's got some dope sunglasses. Grandma's awesome. Love grandma. <laughs> um, but yes, we're running out of time, and we did kind of stumble on this really interesting thing. Castorelli made a film, amazingly, two films before Fantastic. Coscarelli. Coscarelli. Uh, oh, what am I saying? Castorelli. Yeah. Cascaroli. Cascatonio. <laughs> yeah, my apologies, Don. It's but anyway, Cascarelli. <laughs> oh, oh. So, um, <laughs> motherfucking orange peel beef over here. So, okay. So he made two films between like being 20 and like 25. And the Same. first one, Jim, uh, Jim, the world's greatest, very obscure. I don't think there's any possibility of that even coming out on Blu-ray. It's like just bit the dust culturally. But it's his first film. Is I think Universal produced it. Mm. And just let's take a step back there. Like a major studio made this crazy, uh, you know, 20 year old guy's movie. But what's really cool for uh, mega fans, maybe they've seen it, maybe they haven't. Um, there's some parallels. I guess we can start playing these clips from uh, uh, Don's first film. And it's uh, Jim, the world's greatest. Hey. And uh, how about, does any of this sound familiar? There's an older brother here, with a younger brother and they uh, look out for each other and they help each other. And the younger brother's having a lot of problems with kind of a, 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 a villain and in this case, this villain, as you see here, is their alcoholic father who beats the little brother. And uh, guess what? The alcoholic brother, who's the villain in, in their lives, of these two brothers, it's played by Angus Scrim. Uh, wow. You know, you know and, and that's crazy. And, and it's a really nice performance by Angus Scrim, uh, who plays, uh, it shows you the power of his acting. And in fact, his performance in this film is what Don noted and said, I got to get this guy. He'd be great as a, a horror movie villain. And that's where this all started. So we're going to see that in a second, just a brief clip where Angus is, um, I think he's trying to apply for a job, but then sort of gets the DTs and the shakes and just can't deal with um, being, uh, you know, a big old alcoholic. And he just, he's, he can't cope. And he becomes a monster in the film. And towards the end of the film, actually, uh, in the last few scenes is there's this confrontation in an alleyway where him and the older brother are like, uh, you know, the older brother's almost going to kill Scrim and it's played like a horror scene actually. So yeah, there's your, there's your tall man, everybody wow. in 1975. And, uh, he's, amazing. he's definitely, he's got acting chops, man. That is a very powerful, almost silent movie face kind of acting, you know, totally. And uh, look at that. He's walking <laughs> down the street. And uh, yeah, so that's powerful. But the, my favorite thing, Jim, the world's greatest, is um, this fucking really beautiful thing. Reggie. It's Reggie. It's Reggie as OD, everyone's favorite local skydiving stoner. <laughs> and there he is. Oh my God. And uh, he's talking about how uh, he's telling God he's really high and to keep him high or something. And so uh, anyway, so yeah, we got it. So. Uh, it's, it's awesome. a real treat. I think it's on YouTube. That's you funny. Know? There's, it's funny those parallels. I was checking out, um, you know, parallels between Phantasm and his earlier work. I was checking out a little bit of Kenny and Company, the movie. I think which is right before Phantasm, and it also second has second film. It also has uh, parallels. Michael, the little boy, Michael's in it. It's a little, couple years younger, and then it deals with a lot of the same kind of subjects of like. Uh, kids versus the world. Like there's there's a scary house in the neighborhood. There's, you know, a scary uh, older guy. They they actually stuff a dummy at one point that looks kind of like Angus. It's very weird. Right. There, there's some weird parallels there. I guess it just points to like where 
Cas Cascarelli's Cascarelli's <laughs> head Cascarelli. was at. Oh, you know, that he he was still able to get in touch with the the inner child to be able to deal with because he was a child about you know. ten minutes ago. Yeah, uh, you know when he started, when he made these films, which I think uh, that's another thing that's very fresh about him and and all these films and specifically Phantasm is that it's he's still got a uh, uh, you know his his youth is still fresh on his mind and uh, you know a lot of guys are you know you know, getting older and they just have like real world adult BS in the way, but he had a direct, he had a direct line mm -hmm. to uh, adolescent um, fears and uh, wonderment and excitement, you know? Yeah. It's a really a fascinating story of just, you know, the fact that he is so young making, you know, this is his, phantasm is his third feature film, which is really crazy. You know, and the fact that yeah. <clears throat> I think being so, you know, touched with his, you know, adolescence, because it was just a few years ago, you know, I think Jeez. really adds yeah. adds a lot to the movie. And I think that is what kind of makes it feel very authentic, especially with can, those can I give you main character. Yeah. Well, can I, here's a perfect example is uh, we're talking about the muscle car angle in the film, uh, Evan, you know, and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's definitely him exercising the 18 year old Don who would look longingly at the, I guess, you know, the, the richer kids in his high school. And he'd go one day, whatever that model is, uh, 1971 Barracuda. So, yeah. yeah, it's Cuda. a Cuda. And so he would just look at it longingly and go like, I'm going to get one of those motherfuckers someday. So he basically cast a 1971 Cuda just because it's like, because I wanted one. And he probably drove around on the set, you know. So that's, you know, Zed was at a lot of ways, you know. And I think he likes blonde women. Just a guess. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think there's a uh, in the film the, the yeah, grandma. Yeah, right. yeah exactly there's the fortune teller granddaughter and then two blonde girls driving with michael yeah you know love that hey love can you guys that. help me yeah. out I know we have like Sally seconds to go yeah. what happens to the granddaughter she is curious and goes to the mausoleum and gets gobbled up by she the becomes uh, a dwarf i guess she gets yeah. kind of taken into that room That's, and why did she go there? Was she just curious? It's like, what's Michael talking about? Oh, you what? now you want an explanation, huh? Yeah, okay. a lot. I want a lot. Of, I want a lot of understanding right now. Yeah, it's not explained why she goes seconds. there. No, not at all. Okay. Well, I, you and know guess what? Thing, I don't care. Yeah, well, I don't what care happens either. to her? You know. One Good thing point. That, one thing people might miss too is what he was establishing in that in that scene where there's like the, the amazing car chase with the the you know yeah. the car turns over and fucking what's his name uh, reggie's on the ground and everything they're trying to establish mm -hmm. the um psychic connection between the brothers too which i think is a really cool oh, thing yeah. which does turn into something later on in the franchise but i do that's think that's a little that star wars-ish too that I, I i i think that's fucking dope another rad story element but Absolutely. uh well guys we got no time tasm <laughs> tasm Right, it's a wrap. Uh, well, I don't know. It's fantastic. We, it's, what's the name? What's the name of the show? Huh? You yeah, tell me. Man. Well, um, that was awesome. Uh, thank you guys for listening to one fucking hour on Tasm. Um, uh, before we sign off, two things. One is uh, be sure to subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, please like the video, subscribe to the channel. Or if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, whatever the fuck um, it is now, subscribe that, like that too, because that helps <laughs> us out. Um, I want meta. To mention, we're on Meta too. We're on Meta. No, we're not on Meta. We're big and, on Meta. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I Sorry. wanted to say too is that uh, we also put together a fucking Tasm playlist. Um, mm -hmm. we, we chose some real Tasm uh, songs, uh, some Blue Oyster Cult, of course, uh, some Rush, some Judas Priest, 
some uh, I don't know what else do we have in there. We had some other cool stuff. Zebra um, Sabbath. Oh yeah, right, right. Zebra right. track. Ooh. And Dougie Fresh, the oh, right. uh, the human beatboxer. Sample Taz. Huh? Yeah. Check it out. So uh, in the in the description of the video, click on that. You can listen to the Tasm playlist we put together for y'all. And then um, next week, guys, shifting gears big time. We're going into. <laughs> yeah. We're going hard. <laughs> I'm scared already. Yeah, I know. We're going. We're going hard. What have we done? <laughs> we're going hard into 2003, a great year for cinema. Um, this is the uh, documentary. <laughs> Uh, on the making of Boondock Saints and the fallout of uh, prior to the making of Boondock Saints, uh, Overnight, starring the director of <laughs> Boondock Saints, Mr. Troy Duffy, which seems very apropos. In his overalls. In his overalls. Is he, is he, is, is he never not in his overalls? <laughs> well, He's we're gonna still in his out. overalls. <laughs> we got to wear overalls when we do oh, it. Oh, that would be great. I would do that. Let's I say, would definitely do that. Yeah. Um, I don't have any, but, you know, but I need to uh, get some. That's going to be next week, and uh, it's very apropos because they, they, they've they announced a third Boondock Saints film, so I think stars have aligned. Oh, thank of God. So, um, <laughs> we're going to get people down what with they that. want, right? <laughs> people have well, been clamoring for a third one. Mm, I don't know They how have. Long. Yeah. I think the second <laughs> one was crowdfunded. Um, all right. So, wow. uh, so watch. But, you, gotta, you can't miss that, folks. Yeah. Next so, week. Overnight from 2003. It might be hard to get, but definitely buy the buy rush order to the DVD off eBay. It's overnight the documentary about the making of Boondock Saints from 2003. We're going to be all over it. One fucking hour on that. And that's it, guys. Uh, thanks so much. And now, your moment of zen. All right. Take care. Sticks into the man's forehead. A drill comes out and bores into his skull, into his forehead, and then sucks out his brain. It's a little... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a real love story, as you can definitely see. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef.